Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Of COVID, all of us rightfully were applauding our frontline heroes. Uh, we were applauding all those healthcare workers who were showing up, treating COVID patients. And then you saw this administration, while they started applauding them, ultimately they said that they would have to be fired if they didn't get the COVID vaccine. And thousands of healthcare workers were forced to lose their jobs over that vaccine mandate that wasn't even in law. It was a ruling that came out of CMS. And so what we are bringing forward is legislation to end that. Let's get those healthcare workers back to work. Let's continue to applaud them as the heroes that they are, not try to shame them or terminate their careers because they didn't get vaccinated. That's Congressman Steve Scalise. He is the House Majority Whip. So the number two in the House of Representatives. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY is the number. 833-468-8669. Find everything at uh, TonyKatz.Locals.com. TonyKatz.Locals.com. What we did to nurses is a sin. And any doctor across Indiana will tell you that the problem we have right now is the lack of nurses. The lack of nurses, the lack of well-trained nurses, nurses with a history who have been able to share institutional knowledge with new nurses, that's what's leading to problems and backups in ERs and all sorts of things. And people not getting the best level of care because the new nurses need time to learn and things fall through the cracks. Therefore, the doctors are doing more, able to get to less patients in a time frame, and this creates backlog and issue. Doctors are not nurses. There's a, it's a very, very different skill set. Doctors are not nurses, and they can't do the same things. They shouldn't do the same things. And doctors rely on competent nurses, intelligent nurses, to go out there and be able to handle the things with the patients before they get to it. To know things like, no, 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 you don't want to provide the patient that because they're already taking this. Know how doctors like certain things to allow the process to have a maximum efficiency. Instead, we told nurses they were heroes, and then the next day said, you won't get vaccinated, you're the devil, and threw them out of their jobs, which was, of course, criminally insane. Absolutely, positively insane and gross. These are the problems, and, and it's not ending. You, you've got, in New York, uh, the governor, Kathy Hochul, is like, oh, we're not going to let these nurses back. I don't think that's the right thing to do right now. That's hate. That is vicious, ideological hate going on. Unnecessary. Uh, I, I, at every turn, completely and totally unnecessary. It doesn't have to be like this. But when you're ideological and you told everybody that this was the most important thing in the world, well, how can you now change? When you told everybody that, you know, if, if, you, if you get vaccinated, you won't spread COVID. And of course, that was a lie. That was a lie. Of course, if you're vaccinated, you can spread COVID. We knew this from the very beginning. But people out there, like, for example, all those who host The View and a series of others all wanted to tell you 
that if you were vaccinated, you wouldn't spread COVID, and that's not true. That's why they said things like, well, they're not vaccinated, and they're going to kill my grandma. going to kill your grandma? What are you What are you talking ignorantly stupid for? That's not going to happen. That's not how this works. That is 100% not how this works. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. I haven't been able to play that in a while, so I'm glad that all came together. Part of the reason, as I see it, we're not seeing the rehiring of these nurses as we should is because it would prove that the politicos were wrong from the very beginning, lying from the very beginning, failing to provide proper information to the people from the very beginning. They did it. They did this. They are the ones who were inaccurate. And would they refused correction, mainly because the people correcting them were all silenced or thrown off platforms or told they were conspiracy theorists. Oh, conspiracy theory. You're not listening to what I'm saying. You can't, you, you can still spread COVID if you're vaccinated. Conspiracy theorist, Dude, the data's right here. They told you that Pfizer was only 95% effective, so 5% not effective. That's not a breakthrough case. There's no such thing as a breakthrough case. Conspiracy theorist, anti-vaxxer. Man, awful, awful, terrible people. And now, in order to cover themselves, they're still willing to vilify nurses. It is gross what's happening to nurses in the United States of America. Meanwhile, we got ourselves an economy that's got some problems, and it's having some problems the world over. Let's break it down. Economist Dr. Matt Will joins us next. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. So we talk a lot about the economy. We discuss the conversations of recession and how it relates to interest rates. And of course, we talk about inflation, which hasn't gone down to a place that makes anyone feel like, whoo, thank goodness we've got all of that under control because we don't have, well, any of that under control. But if you were to ask Joe Biden, he's the president of the United States, don't you know, how everything's going, uh, he's giving you breathing room. I ran for president to build an economy from the bottom up and the middle out to bring back good paying jobs you can raise a family on, whether or not you went to college, to give working families a little more breathing room to invest in ourselves again, to invest in America again. That's what we've done. Americans have breathing room? I, I don't think that's the way Americans see it at all. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Dr. Matt Will joins us, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Uh, and, and you know, I was gone for a couple days last week and you reached out to me if I want to talk about U.S. GDP. And I do want to talk about U.S. GDP, but I want to also discuss two other stories where you take a look at Germany, which is the fourth largest economy in the world. Admittedly, a gigantic drop off from the United States. We're at 20 million. China's at 14 million. You get to Germany, you're at like, what was five, six, seven million, I think. Maybe it's in the teens, but I think it's five, six, seven, not million, trillion uh, dollars. And the German economy shrank by 0.2% in the fourth quarter, which is worse than expected and that gets followed up by a story in the wall street journal Uh, i had seen it you actually sent it to me eurozone's economy outpaced china and the u.s in 2022 so let's start back from the beginning the u.s gdp where is it what happened what is your take on it and then how does it connect to what's happening in germany well well, tony the the headline here and i hate to say this but 
the headline is Biden continues to lie. That's the headline here because you know our GDP is around twenty three trillion, um, twenty five trillion dollars. So, but let's let's talk, back up a little bit here. The reason our GDP grew was because we reopened the economy after the COVID self-imposed lockdown and self-imposed recession. It went up, and then we had a recession last year, Tony. Remember that small recession we kept talking about? It happened, and now our growth is anemic. Europe opened after us. So in 2022, they saw GDP go up more than the U.S., which never happens. But, Tony, at the end of the year, they're now heading into a recession. Germany is the perfect example of that. China is now opening up. So China is probably going to have a big GDP bump this year. And then they're probably going to start declining in GDP. So, Tony, this is a pattern that we're seeing. The decline in Germany is not a surprise to me because it happened to us. We went recession, and I think they're probably going to go recession. So let's let's go back. You're saying that we locked down, and, and you and I could agree, and others could agree that that should never ha- have happened. We locked down, so therefore GDP went down. We opened up, so therefore GDP went up, both numbers being artificial in, in a way. Now that the yeah. G- now that we've been opened up, we see GDP fall in, in, in the U.S. because of... Of recession. Now, those figures showed the U.S. economy grew by 2.1%, which, as is described by the Wall Street Journal, Paul Hannon reporting, a slowdown, a sharp slowdown from the 5.9% rate of expansion recorded in 2021. By any normal standard, 2.1%. Is that so much a bad year? Tony, that's not a bad year. It's not a bad year, but it's still coming out of the recession that was self-imposed, and it should be higher. We're still not back to the trajectory we were on before, Tony. We can get into labor if you want, but when Biden talks about labor is great. No, Tony, we're still five to six million jobs short of where we should be at this point. So a GDP growth that looks okay in a vacuum doesn't look okay when you look at it in the big picture. So the the big picture is when we take compare it to the 5.9 or when we compare it to what is coming which which way does it not look good tony where we should be coming out of the self-imposed lockdown recession where we should be if you and i've done this tony if you track it where the trajectory should be we're not there yet in jobs or in gdp and then on top of that the GDP is slowing down, and we might be in a recession this coming year, Tony. So this we're way short of where we should be. That's a relative measurement, and that's what people need to understand. Now, if you take a look at, at China, they say that 2021, they grew by 8%, and in 2022, they grew by 3%. Now, China has long been a nation that, A, lies about its output. Uh, and 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 fudges numbers and manipulates numbers how they uh, peg uh, dollars to the yuan etc. Et uh, but they need a certain level of growth to keep up with students that they pump out of their universities and and in a, in a communist nation to pretend that they've got everybody a job and that they're prosperous. That number is usually seven percent, which is a number so huge that if the United States was running at a seven percent GDP, uh, it, it would be cause for serious alarm. How could anybody grow that fast? that big but knowing that they lie when they state they're growing by three percent does anybody question whether or not 
they grew at all, whether or not that number is actually a negative or is it believed that 3% is where they were, which is still a massive drop-off? Tony, nobody believes that number. I'm, I'm surprised we even report it. The reality is they were in a recession. It was a self-imposed recession, and then they're now going to be in a self-imposed or, you know, recovery uh, because it's an artificial recovery because they're loosening up their standards. People are traveling. They're opening up the economy. So, Tony, that's, no one believes their numbers. That's just bogus, and, and we all realize that. Um, hopefully we can get back to the, the Germany discussion because there's more in the Germany picture and the China picture that's going to impact us. And i got to tell you, the China opening is a problem for the USA I don't know if you want to get into it, but we're going to have some serious issues related to the China reopening. Well, we we should get into it. But now, before we get there, let's now take a look. We, we, we see this pattern, lockdown to open to reality, lockdown to open to reality. And that's what you're saying exactly is what come has come to Germany with the economy shrinking mm-hmm. by 0.2%. Uh, then comes this story about the Eurozone outpacing so a uh, quick one too what is the eurozone and is this something that doesn't matter because reality will soon follow and they will fall as well well tony the eurozone is all of europe uh, basically ex switzerland ex the united kingdom um they're all in one it's like practically the size of the united states relatively speaking and it's a joint economy um they grew more than us tony this year only because of the beginning of year data if you look at the trend, they hit their peak post-COVID recovery early in the year. Then they started declining, and Germany is the biggest indicator of that decliner because, like you said, they're the fourth biggest economy in the world. But, Tony, there's a lot to learn from Germany because Germany's making a lot of mistakes that's causing this recession in, on, on them, and we don't want to make the same mistakes. Most of it related to the consumption of energy because they're shutting down all their carbon emissions in favor of solar and wind. And what's happening, Tony, is their cost of energy is going through the roof. It's causing the unavoidable blackouts in certain energy sectors, and it's causing their economy to, to um, shrink. And that's something that could happen to us if we don't be careful and learn from their mistake. So now let's get into 2023 and whether or not that's going to lead us to recession, because I make a different argument, sir talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, we're already in the recession. The problem is every time I go out, there's a million people out. Every restaurant is full. People are shopping left and right. My parents tell a story that they they tried to go out to dinner yesterday, went to three different spots because they were all full. Maybe that's retirees in Boynton Beach, Florida, and not necessarily people who are still working in Indianapolis, Indiana. But everybody seems to be spending I look at this economy, I hear what business owners are going through, I say recession. But the anecdotal evidence tells me that I'm a damn fool. So uh, why aren't we in a, are we in a recession already? And if so, how come nobody's acting like it? Well, Tony, first of all, we're not in a technical recession yet. Just like we have to admit, you and I, that we knew we were in a recession earlier this year, last year. Right. And we know we're not in it now. That's just the numbers and the math and the definitions. But what you're experiencing, Tony, is the five to six million people that have not returned to the workforce. Tony, I, I can't give you the exact names, but I can tell you because, you know, I can't disclose confidential information, but I can tell you that there are service providers in this city that are going to their clients and saying, we don't want you as a client because we don't have enough employees to service our, our contract with you. Tony, that's a government imposed problem when we have five to six million people short 
that haven't returned to the workforce since COVID. You saw this morning, they had, there was a report out that 47% of federal workers have never been to the office going back to the beginning of COVID, even though they're getting a paycheck, Tony. 47% of federal workers have never been to the office since COVID started. Yeah, well, I, look, I... I I'm not a federal worker. I guess I don't count because I rarely go back to the office myself. I guess the question would be is, are they doing any work? And then you and I could say it's government. What work are they doing? And then we have a laugh and then we sip a bourbon and we move and we move on. But this all is now a, a precursor to the question of is recession coming? We have seen the moves from the Federal Reserve and the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell. We have heard him say and sh he has shown us that he is not going to make the mistakes kind of in his words of Paul. Volcker and we are going to raise interest rates until morale improves and until this inflation stops many people want to act including the Biden administration as we started this conversation that everything's fine everything's good the economy's great you're just being crazy but it's not good it's not great the economy is having uh issues and because this inflation isn't going away do we see a further increase in inflation? Do these moves in the Eurozone, specifically Germany and in China, create for us more issues? And is the the economic waters, as you are uh, assessing them, showing you, not telling you, not, not, not whispering into a crystal, crystal ball, but showing you that problems, further problems are on the horizon for the U.S. consumer? Yes, Tony. I see inflation problems existing globally. Now, they're not as bad as they were. They're getting better. We saw the wage inflation report this morning show that things are improving. But improving, Tony, they're, they're still at near record highs, but they're improving. Like, I'm going to go back to what I told you many times. It's the Biden spending policy versus the Powell rate increases. The European countries in Davos were lecturing Biden that he's spending too much money. The $1.9 trillion COVID stimulus, COVID's over, Tony, yet they still haven't spent all that money. The $1.2 trillion piggy bank that they gave to Mayor Pete, it's not spent yet, and that's going to cause inflation. The Biden administration is doing everything in their power to cause inflation. Powell is resisting it. Hopefully, the Congress will be able to successfully negotiate some spending controls and bring it down. I can't predict what's going to happen, Tony, but I can tell you, Biden's trying to create inflation. Everyone else is trying to stop it. Before I, I let you go, you talk about uh, everybody else is trying to create inflation. We talk about the problems this economy is having. CNBC reporting, General Motors smashes expectations and guides toward a strong 2023 despite margin squeeze. You're telling me that everything's in peril, the inflation is high, and yet somehow we're selling new cars and electric vehicles like it's going out of style? These two things don't add up. Tony, I, I didn't say everything's in peril. I said it's a continual battle between these two parts of the two parts of the economy. Who's going to win? I can't predict. But there are some segments that are good. You're right. Tony, the pent-up demand that we've seen over the past three years for autos is causing auto sales to go up. That's true. But you can't deny that Amazon's laying off thousands, tens of thousands of people. Meta's laying off tens of thousands of people. Uh, you look at even Tesla reduced their projected forecasts. Uh, Amazon, Google's laying off thousands and thousands of people. Salesforce is, you know, they've been announcing major cutbacks. You, you can't ignore those facts, Tony. There are massive layoffs in VIP sectors of the economy. 
Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, D-R-M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L. Dr. Matt Will on the Twitter box. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. I've got much more to get to. Keep it right here, guys. I'm Tony Katz. After what I hope was adequate reflection, I've decided not to become a candidate for the U.S. Senate. With full credit and respect for the institution and those serving in it, I conclude that it's just not the job for me, not the town for me, and not the life I want to live at this point. And with that, former Indiana governor, former president of Purdue University, Mitch Daniels, decides not to enter the race for U.S. Senate in Indiana. The race happening because Mike Braun, the current senator, said, you know what, I'd rather be governor leaving us to wonder who will be the Republican nominee. It was Congressman Jim Banks who announced first a little over a week ago and has spent this time just racking up endorsement after endorsement, including just today, the endorsement of Senator J.D. Vance. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Congressman Jim Banks joins us right now of the Indiana 3rd District, a candidate for Senate here in the state of Indiana, and uh, saw there that you were meeting with the former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, on the hill the pictures were out i will ask you uh, about bojo's take on prince harry uh coming up but first your take on governor daniels uh deciding not to get into this race which has got to be a pretty nice sigh of relief for you and your team well tony I, i've said uh many times I, I have a lot of respect for governor daniels i served in the state house and the state senate for the, the last two years of the daniels administration and what he did for our state uh, is significant. Uh, what he did at Purdue was really important as president there. And I, I, I told Governor Daniels a couple weeks ago when I called him that, you know, re- really do believe there's a role that he has to play and as a senior statesman in advising uh, my generation, our generation, on the, the big issues of our day, like the national debt, which I know is very important to him. As he mentioned in his letter, the, the China threat and what we're going to do about it is very important. So, I have a lot of respect for him. Our campaign is off to a great start. You mentioned Senator J.D. Vance's endorsement today, uh, Senator Tom Cotton, Senator Marco Rubio. I want to be a part of that that new generation of conservative leadership in the Senate and uh, excited about that opportunity. And over the next couple of years, we have a long ways to go. It's only January in the year before the election year. So we have a long ways to go to go out and, and uh, campaign around the state. I'm looking forward to it. But the, clearly, the, the the purpose of getting in the race early, I mean, we're, we're people who pay attention, is to try and keep other people from getting in the race and show the hot hands. Over the course of the past week or so, every day I get another email. You get endorsements within the state of Indiana, endorsements from outside the state of Indiana. I think you had uh, Senator Tom Cotton. Uh, uh, there was one of the, those those first endorsements, the endorsement uh, from, from Vance. Is it your belief that being first, first to, to market, if you will, and seeing Daniels not get in this race, that that's really going to be kind of the maneuver to keep other Republicans from getting into this race? Or are you anticipating others to join in now that former Governor Daniels has made his decision? Well, I mean, there, there are lots of uh, there were lots of parts 
to the to my decision to get in when I did. I mean, I'm I'm not Tony. I'm not a self funder. Um, I, I don't have millions of dollars in my bank account that I can self fund a statewide race. These campaigns are very expensive, so I knew I needed to get started early because I had to go out and start that process of raising money, building support, showing strength. I have no doubt that there will be others who get into the race, but I'm going to go out and do my part and work hard every single day to make my case around the state. I mean, I I come from a a great district in Northeast Indiana and enjoy a lot of support from where I come from, but there are lots of people around the state who I don't know yet, who don't know what I stand for, uh, who are hungry for strong conservative leadership in the Senate coming from Indiana, but I got to go sell myself and make that case. And that's why I got in the race when I did. The, The support has been overwhelming. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm proud to have the support of Cotton and Rubio and J.D. Vance, but the support that we're getting from state reps, state senators, sheriffs, county chairmen, county chairwomen for the Republican Party around the state, it's been overwhelming, and, and we're just getting started. Talking to Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District, a Republican candidate for Senate in the state of Indiana. Um, the, the, the conversations uh, about... Daniels involved in something interesting and and I caught it from a lot of of corners that of course there was the massive ad buy from the club for growth but there was uh, articles over there at town hall from friends like like Kurt Schlichter uh, and, and others that Mitch Daniels is simply the wrong kind of Republican for the state of Indiana it, it brings about the idea uh, that first uh, there is there is what was the Republican Party what is the Republican Party and then there was the idea of of that conferring the ideas of strength and conviction as you see it is there an old school republican and a new school republican and what are you well i i definitely i certainly don't see it that way uh, again i i respect them learned a lot from him and remember when he became the governor governor of indiana in 2004 that was after 16 years of failed democrat leadership in the governor's office and he had big, big problems to solve for our state. I mean, we had a budget deficit. He turned it into a budget surplus. Uh, he ran the state like a business, like an, like the executive that he was, and uh, set our state down a path uh, that made Indiana the envy of the rest of the country for a long time to come. So I, I don't, I don't dismiss that. I, I respect him for what he did, how he, how he did it. Uh, I've been in the House now for just over six years, Tony, and just believe that strongly that in the Senate, we need a new era, a new generation of conservative leadership there to shake it up. And Indiana is a conservative state. Indiana deserves a conservative senator uh, representing us in the United States Senate. Mike Braun has been a reliable conservative, especially on fiscal responsibility and, and balanced budgets and cutting wasteful spending. Um, so I, I, I just I think Indiana expects that out of their senator, and that's the track record I've had in the House. And uh, so you don't I buy into the idea that make- you don't buy into the idea that there's an old school Republican and a new school Republican, and 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 the old school are rhinos, and the new school are are, are the proper warriors. That that's not how you play. Uh, you know, I, I, I wrote a memo about this. You and I have talked about this many times before, a couple of years ago about cementing the Republican Party as the party of the working class, not being the party that represents Wall Street and corporate America, but the party that represents working people. And and uh, in my memo, I talk about that, the changing of the Republican Party. But I'm 
I, and I represent that that new like like JD Vance. I mean, JD Vance and I come from the same humble uh, blue collar working class background and we believe that the republican party represents uh people like our our working parents and and we're stronger today because of that because donald trump shifted the scope of the republican party so i do i do think it is a new republican party it's a republican party that represents working people but also a a republican party with a fighting spirit and and you're seeing that i think play out in this new house majority as well Let's take it to one of the big subjects of the day, which is the debt limit. And uh, you've got the speaker, Kevin McCarthy, for whom uh, you voted, uh, having these conversations with the White House. Uh, Talk to me about what the issue is, because, of course, uh, the screaming and yelling is that playing with the debt limit is playing with fire and playing with the full faith and credit of the United States. And we can't allow this. And uh, a former colleague of yours, Adam Kinzinger, has uh, referred to people who engage in these kinds of things uh, as dangerous, like he involved, you know, people who didn't vote for Kevin McCarthy were legislative terrorists who wanted to have more rights. Where are we on the debt limit? Are we going to raise it? And what concessions do you believe you'll get out of the White House? And how far will you go to get them? Yeah, that's hilarious coming from Kinzinger, who served in Congress, who knows full and well that Congress and the legislative process is, is entirely a, a – um, the, the whole experience is about negotiation. And, uh, and the debt limit fight sets up a, an important negotiation, an opportunity – to address the fiscal issues of our time. We, we have a majority. The American people voted uh, to give us a majority because we promised them that we would fight for fiscal responsibility. And, and the debt limit fight fights sets up an opportunity for us to do that. So Speaker McCarthy is meeting with President Biden this week to lay out um, our goals in these negotiations and to, uh, opportunities uh, as we if we raise the debt limit then coming out of that has to be uh, a number of reforms that will set us down a path to pay off the national debt. It's just that simple. That's what the American people expect us to do. And that's what I'm talking about. You have, a, you have an era of some Republicans who believe that we should go along to get along, just raise the debt limit, um, don't do anything about it. it uh, and then you have the rest of us who believe that uh, these are important fights that will determine the future of this great country and whether or not it will survive or not. So, We've got to use the majority, the power of the majority. Speaker McCarthy is fighting to do that, and and we'll know more after he meets with President Biden later this week. What is the cut? What is the cut that you, Congressman Jim Banks, want to see to say, yes, I'll raise the debt limit? Well, I've seen some projections that show that if we cut annually one, two hundred billion dollars off of the the current uh, trajectory, then that would send us down a path to to pay off the national debt in a course of uh, 10 to 12 years. So there are project- projections that I've seen that would do that. I mean, cut, cut wasteful spending. There's a lot of it. It's all across the board in the federal government. But I, I think you can also, you know, 10 years ago it was the Budget Control Act and, and uh, some of the, the negotiations, similar negotiations that led to budget reforms. But we got to get back to the point where we're passing balanced budgets to begin with. And with a House majority, we have an opportunity to do that. 
Is there a, a you you talk about just generalized dollars? I'm asking, is there a generalized topic? Is there a program that you're like, let's cut that one? Is there something on the chopping block that is tangible that we could all take a look at? Yeah, I think it, it, it is across the board. I mean, the and the budget committee is taking up. Uh, this process in the House. My friend Jody Arrington from Texas is chairing the committee. They're going to come up with a budget and put it on the floor that will be a balanced budget. And that that requires us, Tony, to cut across the board, hundreds of billions of dollars across the board, current trajectories. Yes, we have the, all of the excessive uh, so-called uh, COVID uh, relief funding that is expiring. And that's why you're seeing spending dip for the moment. But all of that spending skyrockets after the dip on the current trajectory, uh, trajectory of of the federal budget, so we have to cut across the board. I've seen I've seen uh, uh, some good um, uh, figures of what that would look like, but it, but it has it has to be across the board. Before I let you go, sir, talking about the race for Senate, you are a Republican candidate for Senate in the state of Indiana. Mitch Daniels, as we discussed, getting out, uh, not even getting into the race, not necessarily getting out of the race, not getting into the race. Uh, Will there be a call from you to the former governor uh, asking Mitch Daniels to campaign with you? Well, again, I I respect him, admire him, and and, uh, spoke to him before before I got into the race. I I, I decided to get into the race before I knew he was even thinking about it, and called him to, to tell him that. So I'm sure at some point there will be an opportunity for us to uh, uh, talk further about the, the importance of the, of, of the campaign and, and the opportunity to go to the Senate and serve our great state. And there's a lot that I, a lot that I can learn from him and, and uh, talk to him about. So I look, I look forward to that, but I, I don't know when that might happen. Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District, uh, Rep. Jim Banks on the Twitter box. Check him out there, sir. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Um, I think that Indiana is going to be a very fascinating place in 2024. And there are not many times where Indiana politics play big on the national scene, at least in an election. We've had RIFRA conversations, abortion conversations, sure. But politically, it doesn't happen much. The last time it happened for Republicans was when uh, the vote of Republicans mattered in the primary for 2016, making giving it to Donald Trump over Ted Cruz. Before that, you would go to, was it 2008 for Democrats, when they actually had a say in making Barack Obama the candidate, Right. Yeah. Senate control, big governor's race. Who's going to now run for those congressional races? Going to be a lot to the state of Indiana and on the national scene. This is Tony Katz today. I am so serious about this Bernie Sanders thing I was talking about earlier. Wasn't my plan, but I'm like, let's just do it. We can put it together in a month, and we could do it in March, right? It would be super easy to do. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Can we do it down in Bloomington? Oh, to do it in Bloomington would be so great. Will the indie people drive to Bloomington for for the event? That's that's the question. That's a good question. Here here's what's going on. Did I say hello, Tony Katz? It's good to be with you. Bernie Sanders, the senator, commie from Vermont, he's holding an event at a theater called The Anthem in Washington, D.C. He's got a new book. It's okay to be angry about capitalism. 
That's the book. It's okay to be angry about capitalism. And to promote it, he's selling tickets on Ticketmaster, $35 to $95 a ticket. The place seats 2,500 to 3,200 people. For this event, it's okay to be angry about capitalism. So I want to hold an event. It's okay to be angry about Bernie Sanders. And we're now on the air in, in Bloomington on WGCL. How do we not do this in Bloomington? And I'm like, 500 people. All right, let's not, let's not get crazy. I'm, I'm assuming we can get 2,000 people. 500 people. Can we sell this out? And we'll, we'll split the difference between 35 and 95. We'll do, we'll do uh, $65 a ticket. Is that too much? I mean, somebody, somebody tell me. I guarantee an amazing and entertaining evening. A bourbon will be available uh, for purchase. Well, of course. Uh, maybe, maybe the ticket price needs to be less. Doesn't matter to me. Oh, and, and sponsorships now available. I better hear from somebody. Tony at TonyCats.com. Be like, I'm in. How? It's okay to be angry about capitalism? If we take a look at what has caused more damage, capitalism or the policy ideas of Bernie Sanders, which one is it? Is it better to be angry about? Which one's worse? I, I know my answer, and I believe that I can show my work. I believe that I could prove this on stage with adult beverages. Are you in or are you out? Are you are you in for this or not? First things first, sponsors, Tony at TonyCats.com. I don't know, maybe we'll bring in some special guests. I was saying that earlier. It'll be great. We'll bring in some guests. It'll be awesome. Awesome. Oh, this is happening. It's okay to be angry about Bernie Sanders. A Tony Katz Entertainment Enterprises production. This is happening. This is that. Tell me if you're in or out, guys. Let me know if you're in or out. Twitter at Tony Katz. And of course, Tony at TonyCats.com. It's just that easy. Find everything. TonyCats.locals.com. TonyCats.locals.com. Tomorrow, everyone. Take care. <laughs>